This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino, and uh, coronavirus be damned, it is still Mid-American Conference Tournament Week here in Cleveland. Uh, the men's quarterfinals are going to be taking place on Thursday, and that means tonight we have Jason Arkley, Ohio University beat writer for the Athens Messenger, on the line. Jason, you've made it into town, and for the first time in a few years, the Bobcats are coming with you. But uh, from what we found out late this afternoon, uh, it's going to be a pretty lonely scene over there at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse this week. Yeah, uh, the uh, if you unless you've been living in a cave, you, you're, you're familiar with the coronavirus at this point, and uh, it's it's kind of reaching critical mass in terms of the state of Ohio. Governor DeWine earlier this week announced three confirmed cases in Cuyahoga County, and that started the path that that led to Tuesday afternoon. Uh, massive changes across the state for a different, for a wide variety of athletic events. Uh, Governor DeWine recommending that all indoor athletic events not have spectators. And then uh, a couple hours after that, the, the Mid-American Conference announced, hey, we're having our conference tournament. We're going to play the games. They're going to be on TV. But unless you're working or you're a player or you're the parent of a player, you really don't need to be in the building. So it's it's going to be – it's, you know, you hear the term fans and fr- uh, friends and family crowd. Well, it's, it's going to be that uh, to the extreme uh, this weekend in, in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that atmosphere affects any of the teams or, or players specifically or, or differently. But it, it's going to be a weird scene for sure. Cause that's, we've, you know, we've got the women's tournament starting Wednesday, the men's tournament on Thursday. And uh, there's, it's, it's going to be a, a quiet, lonely building for, for virtually every game. Uh, it's going to be going to be drastically different than anything we've seen there. Kind of a tough spot for the league because the governor, when he made his uh, statement today, it was a recommendation. It wasn't necessarily an order. And you know, we've already seen the Columbus Blue Jackets announced that they're going to proceed with their home games business as usual. Uh, I don't know that the Cavs have made any sort of announcement either way. They're going to be on a, on the road for a while, of course, with the uh, the MAC tournament going on, um, and then uh, the NCAA is supposed to be here next week. Um, so you know, kind of leaving it up to the event organizers to decide. And you know, I, I guess the MAC is uh, going to go along with the recommendation, but uh, I, you know, it, it's it's a tough spot for them to be in. Well, interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, it's the the organizations that receive some state funding that are more likely to pay attention to the governor governor's recommendation, right? Like the the Blue Jackets aren't aren't getting a chunk of their funding each and every year from from the state government, like like Kent State is, or Ohio is, or or Akron is, or or Toledo, or whoever. 
uh, so, so you know, there's a sensibility there that when the governor the governor recommends something, you know, if you're a state school, you're you're probably going to follow along with that, and uh, it, it makes sense. Like the it's it's not just the state of Ohio, but but you know, half a dozen uh, states now in the country are really trying to find ways to come to grips with this thing to to limit the the, the spread, and uh, it's it, it's it's grown exponentially in in, in places in Europe. And they're expecting that kind of pop, that kind of population to, to to burst in terms of confirmed cases here in the in the U.S. soon, and Ohio is trying to do things to to limit that. Now, the Ohio High School Athletic Association, Association again, uh, another statewide uh, sports organization that that kind of has some big events this this week, this time period too, with with boys and girls state basketball tournaments, state wrestling tournaments. Uh, they too have. have kind of come down and said, you know, unless you're related to someone competing, you really don't need to be at our venues for these for these regional or state championships. And it's it's awful timing for the teams and, and athletes involved, but I can definitely see DeWine's point and the, and the, uh, the state government's point that, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to limit the spread and, and putting 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people in one confined space in one building is is not a great way to, to, to try to do that. So uh, it's it's a bummer. Uh, but but again, this is a this is a serious health issue that uh, is is far from being over or far from probably being at its most worrying point in terms of the state of Ohio and and the country at large. So as as terrible as this sounds, I, I think we've got a few more tough weeks ahead. And you mentioned the NCAA tournament. Uh, that that's a hard decision that the NCAA has to make here very soon. Uh, do they even have March Madness? Uh, do do they have it? But but kind of keep fans away from the buildings like the MAC did this weekend here in Cleveland and that's a decision that's got to be made soon because uh, that you're going to have people flying across the country coming in from all over to these different pods and that that seems to be a recipe for for spreading the the virus you know to to points all across the country in a big hurry so uh, I expect a decision along those lines to be made uh, before obviously before selection Sunday before the end of this week yeah it's interesting to see how different organizations, different government entities uh, are all handling this differently. And, you know, a lot of it is driven by circumstances. Like you said, I mean, you know, with the Mac tournament, everybody's here in this, you know, pretty reasonably contained region of the Midwest. Whereas you get into the NCAAs next week. Yeah. It's a collection of college basketball teams, but they're coming from all different parts of the country. Yeah. As you mentioned from the East. Yeah, there's sure. a team from the east that has to fly west and vice versa, and uh, it's that aspect I think of of this whole thing that that would really uh, scare the people trying to contain this virus, uh, having having large groups of people jump across the country and, and then go set up in an arena for these these events that would that would concern them greatly. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to see. Uh, you know, I think it was Santa Clara County out in California, which encompasses. Uh, uh, San Jose, so it's going to impact the Sharks. Uh, they uh, they're not allowing any events over a thousand people, and I think the, the Sharks don't play until next Thursday, so they've got a little time to figure out what's going to be going on with their home games. But then it was the Ivy League announced today they're canceling their men's and women's conference tournaments entirely, and uh, you know they're just going to award the NCAA tournament bids, assuming we still have NCAA tournaments. Uh, to their regular season champions, it's you know obviously you got to put safety first in these situations, but kind of that's a tough break for some of those schools in the conference. You know, it, you kind of wonder maybe uh, do you approach the regular season differently if you know that your one bid league 
is not going to have that tournament at the end of the year. I don't know. Oh, I, absolutely. Like, you know, every team in the MAC tries to get better. So they're, they're primed and ready to go for this, this four days here in Cleveland. And, and if you suddenly took that off the table, you would have a lot of missed coaches, a lot of missed players around the league. Like, you operate under one assumption and then change the rules uh, at the end of the game. That's, that certainly doesn't feel fair uh, to a lot of those people uh, in that spot playing that sport. Um, but, but when you're in a situation where, you know, Ohio State is shut down, essentially shut down classes for the next month, uh, you know, Kent State and Ohio, I know for sure have followed suit. Like, this is an unprecedented kind of uh, event or at least a, a response to an event that, that, I can, that I can remember. So, Oh, this is all uncharted territory, and, and, and certainly uh, it seems like all options are on the table in terms of the NCAA, whether they have the March Madness or, or limit the, the ability to people watch it in person. But, you know, we've already seen a, a kind of unprecedented response. I, I think that will continue for, for the very near future anyway in terms of athletics and, and college athletics and, and how they're trying to, to limit the exposure of this, uh, of this particular virus. Well, we're uh, we're still going to have some games here in Cleveland this weekend. They start Thursday, uh, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, the uh, the team you cover, the Ohio Bobcats, are going to be here for the first time since 2017. They will be playing in the first game of the day uh, against the top seed in the bracket, Akron. And uh, let's let's talk about OU a little bit. This is uh, it's been a fun team to follow. Well, we had uh, Coach Bowles on this show. Uh, back in the fall, right as the season was getting started, and you know, a lot of excitement and uh, optimism um, for the season to begin, but felt like you know we were going to manage expectations. Let's see how things are going to go this year. Real young team, but uh, they're here. They're still alive. And uh, tell me about this group. Uh, it's, it's a group that has stayed the course all season long. Uh, that what the Bobcats have done over the last four or five months is. Uh, they take the long view of things, uh, really from day one. They knew their roster situation. They're, they're very young. Uh, they started with seven freshmen on the roster, still have six playing. Uh, you know, the two sophomores in the starting line, all that's first-year coach. So uh, the focus was never to, to get too bogged down with one loss or, or, too, or get too elevated with one win. It was always next game, next practice, next week. And uh, they, they, had, uh, they had some tough times. Uh, they were 2-7 and seven halfway through the conference slate. And playing very much like uh, like most te- like most people expected, had some flourishes, couldn't finish games, not very good defensively, and uh, but but they just kept at it. They got better and better and better, and uh, they have been the best team in conference play since that midway point. They're seven and three in their last ten games. Uh, they don't overwhelm you or wow you with anything in particular, but they're sound uh, in, in a lot of the fundamentals. They've improved dramatically defensively from 289th and national defensive efficient defensive efficiency uh just about four weeks ago they've been able to chop that number now so they're they're down at like 185 uh, so dramatic improvement on that end of the floor and their two go-to guys sophomore point guard jason preston uh sophomore forward ben vanderplaz uh, have, have learned on the go how to be leaders how to be uh go-to players game in game out and uh, they, they have taken their games to the next step this season and given Ohio two real strong uh, building blocks, linchpins to, to, to build on and, and feature and, and, and to hopefully lead them to a, you know, a breakthrough next season. But, but for right now, they, they're as good as anyone in the league right now. Uh, 
Uh, and they, they've got a tough opening draw in Cleveland, facing the one seed, the Akron Zips, but uh, they lost both games against Akron, but, but definitely had chances to win both games against Akron. They, they lost a two-point game at home against the Zips uh, in the middle of the, the conference season there, and then the last time they met, just over a week ago, uh, they were up 14 on the road at the jar, and then Vanderplaz tweaked an ankle, uh, wasn't quite the, missed like the next five minutes. Uh, that let Akron get back into the game and, and uh, come come all the way back and, and clip Ohio at, at the end at the jar. So Ohio's 0-2 against the Zips, but those are two games that they, they felt they could have won, should have won, and they will be all loosey-goosey and, and confident and ready to go uh, Thursday after, or Thursday at noon uh, up here in Cleveland. So it'll be interesting to see if the, if the rust plays a factor for Akron. Um, but um, the, it's it's a potential 1-8 upset that, you know, if Ohio is going to shock somebody in the tournament up here, it's going to be this day. I don't think Ohio is great, won't be great playing back-to-back-to-back days, but they'll be coming in, you know, with a three-day break. This, this will be their best shot to, to really spring an upset up here in Cleveland. Well, if they don't get it done on Thursday, they don't get a shot at it on yeah, uh, yeah. Friday or Saturday. So, um, Jason Preston, you mentioned uh, Ohio's had uh, some really great point guards over the years, and uh, he is quickly carving out a, a niche on that list as well. They really seem to rely on him and his usage rate and, and just how much he has the ball in his hands and and how much they lean on him and you know how many how many minutes he's logging. I've seen quite a few games this year where I think he was going the full forty. Um, quite a year for him. He has been. Uh, I expected him to break through this year. I didn't expect him to quickly become like the the fourth best player in the league, which which I think if you looked at the numbers, you could make that argument anywhere from like the sixth best player to, to the best player in the league this season, Jason Preston. Uh, he, he plays a phenomenally high number of minutes. Uh, 96% of Ohio's minutes this year, he has been on the floor. That's the highest percentage for an Ohio player since Ken Palm started tracking that statistic. He actually led the nation in percentage of a team's minutes played this season. Um, he had a triple-double early in the year. He's, he's been averaging – 16 points a game all season long. He's been averaging seven and a half assists per game all season long, six and a half rebounds. Uh, he's more athletic than people give him credit for, and he's got a long 6'4 frame with, with, a, with a great wingspan, and uh, he, he really works angles well. And his, his court vision is, is top-notch, and with I think he's at 242 assists right now for this season, the fourth highest in, in program history. And, and has a chance to, to jump another run or two there before this year ends. It's, it's been nothing short of a remarkable breakthrough and a guy that uh, if he continues to develop at the pace he's developed the first two years in his college career, uh, could be a potential pro down the road. He, he, he's that skilled and he's still adding things to his game. Uh, Three-point shooting uh, has been something that's really taken off for him in the last three weeks. And now, with, with that aspect more firmly in place, you're, you're going to see teams start to defend him a little differently. Before, you would always go under those ball screens, uh, try to try to prevent him from getting down the lane and finding someone else. Well, he's he's stuck enough of those jumpers now where you got to play, you got to go over the top, and that's going to then allow him to get back to to attacking more off the dribble. So, uh, he he is definitely one of the best players in the league. And and if you're Jeff Bulls, that was a heck of a gift that. Uh, uh, Saul Phillips left on his way out the door, a young point guard that can be the focal point of your team for the next three years. And he had one there waiting on him when he took the job. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been phenomenal to see just Jason Preston just blow up the way he has. 
What do you think about the job that Jeff Bowles has done this year? Just from the games that I've seen, it looks like a team that is engaged. I I love the body language that I see on the bench. It feels like they're able to make adjustments in games. Uh, You know, they're, they're young. I mean, they still make some mistakes here and there, but uh, you know, from my perspective, it's been really encouraging. You're around these guys every day from your perspective. What do you think? I think Jeff's done a good job. Um, they, they he's not reinventing the wheel, right? Like the the stuff that he believes in as a coach is is traditional. It's it's you know besides the fact that he wants to play three guards and and really operate with one true big on the floor most of the time is is a, it's kind of like what everybody does nowadays in, in college basketball, pro basketball. But uh, the stuff that he hammers home is is the tried and true stuff. You know, you got to be tough. You got to handle your responsibilities, and uh, with this group, it was so young. He was—he's been nothing but positive all season long. Uh, the, the, he's a very no-nonsense guy. He doesn't—he doesn't blow a lot of smoke. He doesn't—doesn't doesn't use colorful language. He's—he's blue-collar. He's by the book. He says what he means. He means what he says, and that's resonated with this group of uh, of players this year. They—they've uh, they've been very workmanlike from day one, and it's—it's it's paying off. It, it's a team that doesn't blow you away with anything they do but it's the every they handle every, each and every play in a consistent manner that uh, belies how young this team actually is and, and they've gotten better at that throughout the year they're they're workmanlike you know they 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 make the right play more often than not uh, and, and they're not the top of the mac in terms of athleticism or experience or size but they, there's a real togetherness uh, a real connected of uh, real, they're, they're really connected on the defensive end and, and, and on good nights on the offensive end. And, and again, that's just been that consistent approach from Bowles. Uh, and he's done some good things throughout the season in terms of managing minutes for guys like Jason Preston and, and Jordan Dardis and, and, uh, and incorporating a few different defensive wrinkles that, that at this point of the year, Ohio is now able to, to go to three or four different looks, whether it's a, a, a press or, or a zone defense that, you know, they can, they can change gears pretty good defensively throughout the course of the game. Uh, so he, he's done a great job. It's, it's, it's just hard to envision what, how much different this team might look with just one or two more different pieces or another recruiting class under its belt. Uh, but, but he is, I, I thought he's definitely maximized the potential out of this very particular group for this season. Well, you mentioned his workmanlike approach. I, I will say I'm, among the many reasons I'll be pulling for Ohio this week, I uh, I want to see some wins to get uh, a couple more Instagram videos of him strutting into the locker room and uh, leading the team in some of those ridiculous dances that he likes doing. That, that cracks me up every time they have a big win. He, uh, I, I talked to him about that at the beginning of the season. He's a guy that seems like he understands uh, social media and getting fans excited and, and the role that that can help and building a program and uh, you know that was something I, I noticed even last summer and in it's kind of continued uh, as the season's gone along speaking of uh, coaches though he's going to be opposing uh, John Gross over at Akron obviously a familiar face for Bobcat fans uh, he of course took uh, OU to the Sweet 16 back uh, I can't believe it's been eight years ago already uh, yeah. tell me about the zips and this is uh, I believe the first time he's won a regular season MAC title uh, with either program so they are the uh, the top seed in the regular season uh, conference champs. So what kind of a squad does he have? Uh, his squad is is older. 
uh, and he's remade the squad over the last two years via transfer. I think each of the five players in his starting lineup didn't start their college careers at Akron, and that's a way he's really uh, played with and, and added and subtracted from his current Akron rosters via transfer. He's got he's got two more Division One transfers sitting out this year who will be eligible to play for Akron next year. But um, so so they're an older group. That means they're more physically mature. Uh, the, the Dayton transfer Williams has been a, a plug and play guy for for the Zips this year at the four has been terrific. Uh, but it's the little guy, uh, Lauren Christian Jackson, five eight point guard uh, who got my vote for, for, for Mac player of the year, uh, dynamic score. He's good off the bounce. Uh, he's, he's good behind the arc. He can, he can squeeze through the smallest places. So he's so good with the basketball. It, it's hard to double him because he's so good at splitting those and then making something happen. Uh, high level score can do it in a lot of different ways. And he has been, he's been one of my favorite players to watch all season in this league. And, and he, he really makes them go. But, but, but again, they've got, they've got, Christian Jackson, and then they've got four other seniors in that starting lineup. So it's an older team, it's an experienced team, it's a physically mature team, and uh, they they've been on board with what uh, Coach Gross has wanted from them all season long. So uh, I think they're the best team in the league. But again, the, the the MAC this year has been a cannibalizing league from start to finish. Uh, we saw it on Monday night with with Miami, a 12 seed winning on the road at Buffalo, which I, I don't think anyone in the league saw that happening. And, and there you go. It's been those kind of results night after night in this league. So, yeah, Akron is the favorite. They deserve to be the favorite. I think I think if you polled the 11 other coaches, they would tell you, well, Akron's probably the one seed. But uh, you might get 11 different answers who, who ultimately wins the tournament. Uh, so they'll have their work cut out for them. But, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I John's been able to line that roster up just right. Again, transfer, transfer, transfer. But, but he's got a good group in place right now and, and it should be on pretty good firm footing moving forward, too, now that he's, he's kind of cycled uh, the recruits in and out and, and kind of lined those classes up the way he wants. All right, so you mentioned Buffalo getting beat at home. They were the highest-seeded team that had to play in the first round, and uh, obviously that means they played the worst team in the conference, Miami, and uh, Miami went in there and beat them. Buffalo was, I believe, the, what, the two-time defending MAC champs. I, you know, obviously the roster is a little different, Coach uh, moved on from last year, uh, so you know I guess it's a different team, but they still put together I thought a pretty decent year. And I got to tell you, of all the teams to go in there and beat them, uh, the fact that Miami did that, I was stunned. Having just watched what happened when uh, Ohio played Miami last Friday, and uh, the Bobcats, what did they blitz them for a uh, wiping out what a ten point deficit in the final three minutes to uh, to win that game in regulation. Yeah, that was to me. That was the biggest reason why I didn't get Miami a shot. Uh, the, the Red Hawks gave up a ten-point lead with less than three minutes to go. Had a ninety, had a north of ninety-seven percent win probability, and lost that game on senior night on their home floor. Then proceeded to have to get on the bus, get up to Buffalo in time for a Monday night game against uh, a bowl team that I thought was was pretty good, and, and they go out and just knock it out of the park. So that that result. That, that Miami beating Buffalo just completely floored me. It, it shocked me. I didn't think that was possible. But again, that, that kind of speaks to the, to the league this year. It's, it's, you know, if you're a cynic, you can say, well, no one in the league is very good. Uh, if you're more of an optimist, then you can say, well, everyone in the league is kind of good. Everyone has their strengths <laughs> and weaknesses, and there's, there's no sure thing. Uh, but, but the Bulls had not only won the last two MAC tournaments, they had won four out of the last five. And this was a, uh, 
a sure sign that the, their their reign as, as the bullies on the block has officially ended. If if you're a real title contender, you you find a way to to win that that home game on your home floor against the worst team in the conference, and and they didn't get it done. So, but uh, tip of the hat to Miami. That that has to be one of the biggest upsets I can remember in the MAC tournaments in Cleveland or on the campus sites that that uh, in quite some time. I can't remember a bigger one to be honest with you. I couldn't. The one that came to my mind, I think OU was in a similar position. This would have been, geez, my sophomore year when I was down there. And I think Ohio was the five seed. And Central Michigan came in with uh, Chris Kamen and Chris Weber's brother and pulled an upset similar. Oh, you just looked terrible all night and, and couldn't get on track. And that was Tim O'Shea's first year and uh, a rude uh, introduction to the conference. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, the, the old uh, 12 over 5, that's, you know, always a, a favorite if you're playing a March Madness pool a week later. But in a conference yeah. tournament, that's a, that's a different story. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I can assure you that there is not a Chris Kamen on the Miami roster this no. year. So, um, yeah. Um, they're going to be playing uh, uh, Northern Illinois on Thursday. That's the second game in the quarterfinals. I know absolutely nothing about Northern Illinois. What uh, what do I need to know? Eugene German. Uh, he was a high-scoring junior guard last season. A very uh, uh, Again, a lot like Lauren Christian Jackson. And scored in a lot of different ways. Super quick. Uh, bigger bigger than, than Jackson. But, but again, he's he, he's another one of those kind of do-everything guards on the offensive end that uh, has dominated the top of the league this year. So you've got Christian Jackson, you've got Eugene German from Northern Illinois, you've got Marion Jackson from Toledo, and you've got Justin Turner from BG. Uh, those four guys are – they're not the same guy, obviously, but they do a lot of the same things and really drive their particular teams. And for Northern, it's, it's Eugene German. Uh, he can get hot from, from long range. He can, he can push tempo and finish around the rim. He's a guy that can finish ball games and has, has won a couple games this year with, with late makes. Uh, so he, he's the, he is the go-to guy for the Huskies, and he's the guy that will give them a shot if a game is close going down to the wire. Uh, and, and, again, the Huskies to me are a bit of a surprise in that they got a bye. That's, that's typically not been a great they're, – they're not a team that typically finishes in that, that two, three, four seed range. And I think, again, that's another reflection of how even the, the conference has been with, with anyone capable, capable of beating anyone on a given night. But uh, the Huskies got Eugene German, and uh, that's, that's the one guy you need to know for NIU. All right. Well, that is all good information. I will amend what I just said. There is one thing I do know about Northern Illinois. They have the absolute worst-looking court in all of college basketball <laughs> that I have ever seen in my life. And every time OU goes and plays a game there, I can't stand looking at it for two hours. So, it's, um, it's, it, yeah, you got the you got the court at the Convocation Center at Northern Illinois, and then you've got the turf at the factory at Eastern Michigan. Right? Those those oh, two athletes look awful. Yeah, they look awful when you're watching them on TV. Yeah, I, I, that's it. Eastern Michigan's football field. I always yeah. it reminds me of looking at Pleasantville because I mean it's a gray field with white lines and it looks like the entire screen's in black and white except for you know the colorful uniforms running around out there. So very odd. I don't know how they've stuck with that for so long, but maybe it's just not in the budget to uh, replace it 
too soon. Um, hey, let's move to the night games. Good old-fashioned Mac rivalry in the first game of the night session. We got Bowling Green and Toledo. I felt like Bowling Green was up uh, at the top of the uh, Mac East standings here for most of the year, right there neck and neck with Akron, and they kind of stumbled a little bit down the stretch, huh? Yeah, they were. They actually beat Akron head-to-head in their last meeting and uh, had the lead, uh, so to speak, for, for the one seed uh, for the for the regular season championship going into the final week, and they coughed up a huge loss to Miami, uh, which 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 set them back. And, and I don't think they've they've quite gained their footing back since then. Um, Akron then then proceeded to win their last couple games, not steal, but but win the league title outright. Uh, but but they're a game, they're a team that hasn't been great at the end of the season. Uh, again, they've got Justin Turner, one of the best players in the league, and a guy who has won four different games this year with, with late makes or late free throws. So they got a closer, uh, but they've been inconsistent on the defensive end, and that is not an attribute you want to have if you're going to face Toledo. Uh, the Rockets, for all their struggles defensively, have uh, three of the best offensive players in the league, and point guard Marion Jackson, Northeast Ohio kid, obviously uh, center Luke Kanapke, uh, a, a near seven-footer with, with great touch from the outside, and Willie Jackson, a ferocious offensive rebounder. Uh, Toledo can score with the best of them. Now, Toledo hasn't matched up well with BG this year. I think BG's 2-0. and But uh, if the Falcons continue to have some of the defensive issues they've had of late, Toledo is more than capable of uh, making them pay and, and putting up a ton of points and, and springing that upset there on Thursday night. Yeah, I was going to say, are you calling an upset here? Kind of seems like you're, it, it, you're it, hedging it, that way a little. I'm hedging that way a little bit. It, it's it's just Toledo has been so inconsistent, though. They they were a team that was supposed to contend for that for that one seed for that West Division title, and instead they were they were trying to fight off Plucky Ohio for uh, for the seventh seed. So, but but with with Marion Jackson and Kanapke and, and Willie, and they've got a great shooter off the bench and the freshman Deshaun Sanders, uh, they can score. And and you can talk all you want about defense, but but there are times when you absolutely have to get a bucket in these tournament situations, and they've got two or three guys that can do that for you. So that should be scary. And then you add that into the way BG finished the finished the regular season. Yeah, if, if I'm a Falcon fan, there, there there should be a high level of concern for this one. All right. Well, we got one more quarterfinal game to talk about: Ball State, Kent State. Those are two programs that. Both have uh, good histories in this tournament. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about those two programs this year? Every coach in the league will tell you that Ball State is the best defensive league uh, or the best defensive team in this league. Uh, they do not scare anyone with their ability to score, but they will make the game a real grind. They will make it a real slog for you in the half court. So the game plan for most teams facing Ball State is to, to generate tempo, whether that's pushing after makes and misses, whether that's trying to get turnovers via – full-court defense, but you, but if you get locked into trading half-court possessions with Ball State, you're probably going to lose that game, and that's something that, that Kent State needs to stay away from. I, I, I like the Flash's talent, players one through maybe six. You know, with Danny Pippen and, and Winnington, they got two quality, you know, good-level Mac bigs. Uh, Boo Williams has been terrific here in the, the later stages of the season. It's capable of carrying a team. Uh, but, but again, like so many teams in this conference, they've been inconsistent. And when they go off the rails, they go off the rails badly. So can, can, can Kent State generate tempo, generate pace, and, and, and not make this a half-court by half-court possession ball game? Because if it, if it goes to that, 
I like Ball State's ability to, to muck things up and, and win like 65-50. But if they if they can get pace and make it a little more up and down, then then Penn State can feel at home and 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 has more talent, I think, top to bottom. But but again, the inconsistency and an ability to create pace. Uh, those become tougher to do or, or tougher to deal with in, in postseason games. So that's a real coin flip game for me. All right. Well, we're not going to have a whole lot of people in the stands at uh, the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse yeah. this weekend, but uh, it seems like on paper anyway, uh, got a, a good mix of teams here and uh, a good uh, recipe for some fun games. This This should be a good tournament. Yeah, and it's there's and uh, unlike the last couple of years with with Buffalo, there, there's no drama about an at-large bid, right? Everyone knows this is a one-bid year, um, so it's it's desperation mode for everybody, just like it always is. And this is the part of the podcast where I encourage people to come down to come down to the arena and watch the games, but uh, can't do that this time around. So uh, turn them on on the TV. I, I think there's going to be a lot of competitive games. There's been a a million close games in conference play this year with a lot of weird finishes. So I think we're in line to have a few more of those this weekend here at the, at the field house. Yeah. Well, it'll be must see TV. Uh, get your remote ready. I believe we're on uh, ESPN plus for the quarterfinals, CBS sports network for the semis, and then ESPN two for the championship game. So a new channel every night, but uh, there you go. And make sure you're also reading uh, Jason's coverage from the Athens messenger. Uh, always a, a good read there, and you can follow him on uh, Twitter at uh, at Jason A Messenger, right? That is correct. Fantastic, Jason. Always good to catch up with you, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Yeah, glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for us. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, all the other usual podcast listening platforms. Stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Thanks again to Jason Arkley of the Athens Messenger uh, for joining us and getting us ready for the MAC tournament. That's going to do it for this week. I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency check out our show Ohio versus the world on the evergreen podcast network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.